hope that throughout this message series, you've come to the place of being more prepared to stand your ground in this crazy culture that we live in today. And today's message is going to be a nice wrap up to the entire series. And it's all about love. You know, I've heard the statement before that love can change a person. But I started to think, you know what? Love not only can change a person, but love can really, and it truly has, changed the world. God's love has truly, essentially changed the world. Look at what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 24 say. In verse 23, it says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For the one who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another, how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that's really what my goal is today. I want to stir you up. I want to get you fired up to love well. And that's the name of the message title today is how do we love well in this culture of compromise that we face? Because we've talked about how to defend our faith, how to stand our ground, how to do that. But now today, I really felt like it was important for us to make sure that we tie it all up with a bow of love. First John chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that God is love, is love. I've said to students before, and I've said here in the church before, there is no one on this earth who can be defined by the quality of love. Yes, I love my wife, but she is not love. God himself in his nature, characteristically, he is love. And so God doesn't just have love, but he is love. And he embodies that love. And the most loving thing, I want you to hear me, church, the most loving thing that God could say is turn from your sin and let me change you. That's the most loving thing because love can transform. When done right, love can transform. Amen? Unfortunately, there are people within the kingdom of God who have mistakenly believed that they love really well already. In fact, that they love better than God. And so they've tried to change and adapt scripture to fit their desires or their choices. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Listen to what Paul says. And when he tells the Galatians in chapter five, verse six of Galatians, he says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, I think about this scripture and I think about the, the place it is in scripture. And I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but I'm going to tell you it was written over a long period of time with 66 books included in it, more than 40 authors. And by the time the apostle Paul lives, generations of generations of people have been writing what they feel the Holy Spirit inspired them to write as God's word. And people have already been reading it. So when I stop at Galatians way down the line and I see a verse like this, it causes me to kind of pause. But wait a second, there are dozens, maybe more than a hundred pages of scripture before this verse appears. And then it has this statement. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
It's not just enough for you to have faith. Yes, we do need a strong faith, but the only thing that counts is that you have that faith and that faith has learned how to express itself in love. If we're honest, the church has not always gotten this right. Can I get a good amen? It has not always gotten this right. In fact, here's the thing that I've realized, and it's not of my own doing. Uh, some, sometimes I've learned it the hard way, but sometimes I've, I've adapted to this and understood that having a dogmatic, argumentative approach doesn't really win anybody to your side. Okay, three. All right, let's get all of them. Preach. That's right. Having a dogmatic, argumentative approach literally to anything doesn't really ever win people to your side. In fact, when we talk about it in regards to the gospel and the church, I believe it more than anything else has hurt the kingdom of God's advance in the world because people have had such a dogmatic, argumentative approach. The truth is this. We cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. This is good, good message for us to hear and meet of the word to understand that you cannot antagonize and influence people for the better at the same time. Sure, you can have some kind of influence on them. The influence is shut up, get out of my face, okay? But if we are to understand this, we've got to look at it this way. You will never win your enemies to Christ. Think about that. You'll never win an enemy to Christ unless they are no longer an enemy. So here's the point. Don't have them. Okay, I'm moving right along really fast. It's true that God has called us to have an influence in our culture, and we're not going to be able to do that if no one likes us. I I know. (laughs) It's really simple. Please don't be insulted by the simplicity of this message today. And I'll talk about it a little bit in depth in just a minute. But the question really is, how do we love well without changing the truths of Scripture? If there is anyone who's better than Daniel at this, it was Jesus himself. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you say the word love. love, love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice it doesn't say that people will know that you're a Christian because you got water baptized. Hello? It doesn't say that they'll know you're a Christian because you memorized a verse of scripture, a Bible uh, chapter, a whole book of the Bible. I was in something called Bible quiz when I was a kid and I memorized successfully during that time. I can't quote it all now. Hebrews and first and second Peter. And we had test questions on it and you could win scholarships and all that stuff. And that was an incredible thing to put all of that inside of me. But that is not truly how people will know that I'm a believer. Amen. They won't just know that you're a Christian because you give a lot or serve a lot. 
Jesus says in John 13, they'll know you because you love one another. And I don't really have this in my notes, but the thought has been percolating in my heart to say there are two different one another's to think of. The first is this, and there are more than 30 statements in the New Testament that say one another. You should forgive one another, love one another, unify with one another, all of these different ideas. But here's the thought. Jesus is talking to those who are gathered around him who are spiritually hungry. They're spiritually thirsty for the truth. And in this passage, he's saying that you are to love one another. So the first place I love is actually in the church. It's actually from one believer to another because God has a funny way of putting people really close to you in your life that are hard to love. And God wants to give you some practice within these four walls, but within the body of Christ so that when we love one another out there, there'll be more of an impact and more of a difference. I love our church because we really have loved one another. The point is this. Even though it's a, even though it's not a corrective statement for presently right now, it's a cautionary statement for later. The challenge is what will happen tomorrow or next week within our body that will challenge us to love one another. So we've got to keep our eyes on this goal of loving one another. So don't get me wrong. There are wonderful things about baptism, giving, serving, all of that stuff. But none of them are the distinguishing feature of a believer as much as love is. And Jesus wants that distinguishing feature to be love. So you might be tempted to think, all right, pastor, like where's the stake in this message? It's really simple so far. Here's what my thought is. And I've heard people say things like that before about the, you know, pastor, I just want a deep message uh, I kind of feel like sometimes it sounds like they're saying, I just want to be a little bit confused when I walk out of here. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's that kind of nature that we have. It may come as a surprise to you, but I can do deep. And I could bore you to death. And I could explain Greek and Hebrew. I've taken those courses. I read them. I study the origin of the word. I love etymology. You might not even know how to spell that, but I love it. Okay, all of those things. But here's the deal. A person who is drowning doesn't need to know the Greek word for life raft. He just wants you to throw him one. Right? So that's why we preach the true, simple message of the gospel. And if you want deep, let me tell you how Jesus, how Paul, how all of these writers in the New Testament specifically harbor on this idea of simplicity is go back to the basics. Love your enemies. Oh, it's getting quiet. Mm. Pray for those who persecute you. Read Matthew chapter 5 when you get a chance. The Beatitudes are not the attitudes you see often enough in the church. And you sure don't see them out in the world. But listen, this is not a browbeating message. This is a message filled with love. But the challenge is to start loving if you don't already, to love better if you love a little, and for all of us to really, truly love well. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus shares those Beatitudes, he actually says something else that's really challenging. He says this, you are to bless your mean neighbor next door. Well, that's my paraphrase, but 
I mean, that's really what he says. Bless the one who's poking you and aggravating you. Pray for those who are giving you the hardest time in your life. Bless them. So maybe once we graduate the basics, we'll go really, really deep, okay? But love is a basic principle of God's kingdom. And sadly, we in the church have screwed it up a lot. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 in the Living Bible says this. Let love be your greatest aim. I just love that. Can I tell you something, though? Your pastor on this stage is not an excellent lover. I, that sounded weird. Okay? Is not, is not excellent when it comes to love. We're going to take that off of the message that goes online. He, he does not love well in all circumstances. It's hard. Am I the only one? It's hard to love those that annoy you and get under your skin. But 1 Corinthians 14, and if you're familiar with this passage of scripture, chapter 13 is what gets read at weddings and that kind of thing about love, 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 love. And then going into 14, he says that, let love be your greatest aim. So love is the only thing that can truly change the human heart. Let me say it this way. God's love from God's people to the world around them is eternally transformative. God's love through God's people to the world around them can literally change a nation. It can change your neighborhood. It can change your school. It can change your workplace. All of those things. You've probably heard, like I said a minute ago, about 1 Corinthians 13. And today, I want to read a little bit of that. It's packed with some really beautiful truths. If you were to look at it verse by verse, you'd come to a couple pretty simple conclusions. And I want to give those to you today. Without love, the first is this. Without love, all I say is ineffective. All that I say is ineffective if it's not said with love and in love. See, your words don't matter if they're not coming out with love. If we're going to stand our ground and love well, we've got to understand that it's not about winning arguments as much as it's about winning hearts. Amen? We live in a very toxic, critical, um, just vulgar, opinionated culture. Today, we really do. But here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I got to compliment you, Mark. You play those drums well. Have you ever heard someone practice on the drums without music in the room, though? It's horrible. That's what we sound like. Even, I'm going to say it to you who have Pentecostal background. Even if you've been spirit baptized and speak in tongues in, of a heavenly nature. Even if you're eloquent and all of those things. Even if you've got that, but you don't possess love, then you are nothing. In fact, I could put it in my own words. You sound like garbage. Ugh, this is really getting deep. So... You're the smartest, most eloquent person on the planet. But if you don't have love, 
What good are you to those around you? And we do. We live in a culture today that is glorified opinion above the truth. Okay, I'm going to say that again so you really let it sink in deep. We have started to live in a culture that glorifies your opinion and then distance itself from other opinions, but glorifies your opinion and doesn't even consider the truth. I read a, a blog, well, an article about a guy who started a blog um, back in the days of the last most recent presidential election. And he literally does nothing, even still today, but sit on his porch with a cup of coffee and conspire with these stupid ideas, type them out and see if they'll go viral. It's, it's a post. I can send you the post, the article with the name of the guy who does this. He actually provides fake news to see that people will share it around the world. That's his, that's his job. He gets money for doing that. That's absolutely insane. And I feel like in the culture that we're in today, social media feeds this because we all have opinions. Do we not? I'm just preaching to myself today because I might be the most opinionated person you've ever met. Okay. I, some of my ministry leaders are laughing. It's true. Okay. I've got an opinion on everything, but here's the deal. Social media feeds this, the political world feeds it, and they kind of take this approach. If I disagree with you, that's fine. I hate you. You should die. I mean, that's really what it, that's what it feels like at least. Here's what I'm doing today. I'm calling our church to be different. Now, I don't know if you know the, uh, the old statement that preachers used to have a soapbox that they would stand on for the crowd so they, the crowd could hear them. Or they'd put a milk crate on a corner and they'd stand up on it. I'm going to get on mine for just a second. Okay, here it is. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you I'm calling our church to be different in the way that you post on social media. I'm telling you, church, you being aggravated about like construction here in Clinton and posting it all over Facebook or being mad about a dog that's running in the neighborhood and doing that kind of stuff. It doesn't lead anyone to anything because you can't go from that to, hey, what you doing this weekend? Want to come to my church? Don't do that. <laughs> Don't. You hear me? So be careful. And I tell you, like I tell my little kids. God killed people in the Old Testament because they wouldn't shut up complaining. Oh, man, that felt good. Okay. So listen, here's the deal. Okay, this is step number one. I know I'm going to give you like three number ones today. It doesn't matter. Here's step number one, though, on my soapbox point. Okay. Don't let that junk take up space in your mind. That's your first line of defense. Don't get all hot and bothered about something so stupid and immaterial. And then here's the other, this is the next step. Don't let it go from here, through here, into here, into a keyboard, because we're not doing anything to impact. We are eroding our impact in the world when we do that, I'm going to call it what it is, nonsense. The world is watching. You say, well, I only have like, you know, 100 friends on Facebook and 200 on Instagram. The world is watching. And even if it's not the entire world, your world is. 
And I don't know, I heard a student this week say when they were here doing the decorations and like getting some stuff down out of a closet and stuff, doesn't it look beautiful in here? Give yourselves a, a round of applause. This looks awesome. I told someone this morning that um, I wasn't here, but it was a test to see if y'all could still have fun without pastor, and you passed. It looked like a, a, a lot of fun. But I had a student say to me, leaning up there over the overhang that goes over the lobby, and, and said this, uh, when, did, when did we get these words up here? And I said, they've been up here since you've been here, and before that. You say, wait a second. Well, pastor, yeah, I know there's words up there. Do you know what they are? Because they're the vision of our church. And the first one is love. Because we really believe that we are called to love the world, our world around us. And we're called to be an impact. And we're called to grow together. So, we've got to tame our language. And we've got to temper it with love. If you have kids or grandkids, you know this struggle is real. (laughs) And I don't always succeed. I'm not going to let my wife have a mic this morning. But if you talk to her after this service, I'm sure she could recount 10 or 12 recent things where there was interaction with my kid. I am working on it too. But here's the point. You better start working on it. Man, this is so good. Start working on it or work a little bit harder tomorrow about loving well. Ephesians 4.15, listen to what it says. It says, speak the truth in love. It doesn't say you have to hide from the truth. It doesn't say that you have to change God's word. It says you're to speak the truth in love. And we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head of the body of Christ into Christ. And if you jump down to the end of that chapter, verse 29, it says this, and this is a real challenge for some of us, maybe less so for others. It says, let no corrupting, or you could read the word unwholesome, talk, come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So everything that we say and everything that we post is either building someone up or tearing someone down. In fact, to use this illustration, I posted this specific thought that the Lord gave me this week on Facebook this week. And if you're not my friend on Facebook, you can come join me and be my friend, okay? Anyone, this is what I posted, anyone can burn anything down. The question is, what are you building? Like literally, if you think about it just in a practical sense, a toddler playing with a magnifying glass in a backyard filled with dry leaves can light it on fire and there could be a wildfire that blazes up and burns furiously as a result of some person without even intelligence, much intelligence at all, could start something. So it doesn't take skill. (laughs) Come on. It doesn't take skill to burn stuff down or break it down. The question is, what are you building? And I think we as a church, individually, ought to make a commitment today. God help me with the words I speak to my spouse, to my kids, to my coworkers, even the ones I don't like, to those on the opposite side of the political spectrum, to anybody I disagree with. Help my words that nothing would come out of my mouth except that which is building them up? See, I'm telling you, it's simple, but none of us have graduated 
we have all had a problem with this. You might do better than the person next to you, but there's always room for improvement in this aspect. So number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Without love, all I know is insignificant. Have you ever met somebody who's smarter than you? Yeah, right? Okay. Have you ever met a dumb person who acts like they're smarter than you? Come on, that wasn't as loud as I thought. Yes, we've all met those know-it-alls. Well, I know this and I know that. But here's the deal. Without love, all I know is insignificant. There's a stat out there that says, based on today's technology and our context in the world today, that we are doubling or tripling our knowledge every few years. That's incredible to think that my brother-in-law, Amy's brother, if he was bored, would sit there and read the Encyclopedia Britannica to find details. And now all you have to do is push a button on your phone and say, what is the metric conversion to inches? I mean, like, it's just, it's really simple. But at the same time, here's something really important for us to consider. We're getting smarter, it seems, but we're worse off in the world. We have a lot of knowledge and we have better phones but a worse world. And the Bible has something to say about this. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 too. It says this, and if I have prophetic powers, like if, if God could give me divine knowledge of the future and I can share that with other people, that's, that's the understanding. And I could understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have all of those things and if I have faith so as to remove mountains. Look at me, church. Jesus said, faith like the grain of a mustard seed. It's powerful in the heart of a believer. If you have all of those things, but you don't have love, you're nothing. So without love, all I know is insignificant. Number three is this. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. This is going to sound weird coming from a pastor, but belief alone is not enough. It, that's God's word. That's not me. That's not my opinion. That is God's word. Belief alone is not enough. If it were, the devil would be redeemed. Because the Bible says he knows God and believes in God and that the demons even fear and tremble. They believe. So I've got to understand that belief alone is not enough. The point is that we have to attach corresponding behaviors to our beliefs. Because if we don't, is it really faith at all? So without love, all I believe is insufficient. Number four is this. Without love... All I give is incomplete. I love Celebrate Church. I, I just know that at the end of this message, there's going to be cards on that table. I've seen people post about it this week. I've seen people share the post. I, I've seen all that. I know my wife and I, were in on it too. All of us, we're going to do our best. And this church is generous beyond compare. I love you. I'm telling you as your pastor, I love the generosity of our people. But it's not the amount that matters most. That's what we try to tell you every time that Pastor Grant talks about the offering. When he shares a giving talk for just a brief moment. He's trying to communicate that same simple truth in a thousand different ways. And that is this. The amount is not what matters. 
Don't say, oh, that's good. I'm going to take a zero off my check today. Don't do that. That's not what we're talking about. The, the amount is important. But here's what's more important. It's the heart that is motivated by love to give. It's because if you read First John, and I could say the song as a kid because I memorized it. First John 4, 7, and 8. Okay, that's where it talks about God is love and that if we don't have him, we don't have anything. But here's the deal. If I give away all I have, verse three says, and if I even deliver up my body to be burned. So listen to me. This is what he's saying. If I have given literally every dime out of my pocket, I've given the clothes off my back and I've even given my body to be burned. I've given all that I have but I don't have love, I gain nothing. It's the heart motivation behind the giving that makes the difference. You don't have to look very far in Jesus' teaching to find that. When Jesus praises and lauds the giving of that widow who gives in the offering box that he notices and sees. Meanwhile, the Philistines, uh, Philistines, the Pharisees are going there, taking off their giant gold necklaces, dropping them in the plate, doing all this stuff. And he's saying, no, listen, this woman gave more than all the rest because she gave out of her lack, but also her heart was behind that. So you don't have a giving problem. You got a love problem. And don't tell me you don't have enough to give. I got one. (laughs) Don't tell me you don't have enough to give. I'm telling you, church, money back guarantee from God, not me. (laughs) Money back guarantee that you do have enough to give. It might require that you, you know, cancel a subscription for one of the magazines you get at the house or Hulu or Netflix or something else. But you've got money to give. The, The point is not to just give it. But the point is to be consumed with love for God and for others so much that you realize that without love, all you give is incomplete. Number five is this. Without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. Another way to put this is life minus love equals nothing. It equals zero. Zilch. There's nothing. If you have a life but don't have love in it, then all that you accomplish is inadequate. You know, a lot of people value accomplishment. I'm one of them. I am, that's high on my things to do list is to accomplish things and to do them well. I like to see those things ticked off of the list. You know, we're all gonna be audited one day by God. Did you know that? I hope you know that. If not, I'm gonna tell you the truth for the first time. And that is, Yes, you will get to heaven with all of your, all of your, let me, let me go back and say it like this. Regardless of your sins and the things you've committed here on this earth, you can get into heaven because of God's redeeming love if you accept his love and if you live according to it. But when we get there as believers, it says in the Bible, we are going to give an account of the deeds done in our body. That was written to believers. That was whether I had a bad attitude with my coworker. That's the audit I'm going to get. Whether I chose love over revenge, whether I did this or that, God is going to look at all of that stuff and we can't do enough or accomplish enough to gain God's love or to earn it. I want to be a person who doesn't just stand firm, but who loves well. I want to be 
I'm not, I don't know that I'll ever be like Billy Graham. I'm sure there's still a reception line in heaven for that man who died months ago. I'm sure there is. I don't know that I'll ever get to that status, but I do know that God has given me you and he's given me a group of students at CCA where I teach and he's given me neighbors and he's given me people in this community, other pastors. He's given me business leaders and owners, all of those people. And I must demonstrate love to them because love truly can change a person. Let's finish out this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 4, it says this. Excuse me. Love is patient and kind. I just, I want to slow down my cadence, my rhythm here. I want you to really, really hear this because you probably don't hear it unless you're at a wedding. Love is patient and love is kind. The Bible says, Paul writes to them, love does not envy and it's not filled with pride. It's, it's, it doesn't boast. Hey, look at me. It's not arrogant. Look at what verse five says. <clears throat> it says it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to re-listen to this message this week and probably have an altar call in the car. I'm serious. Because I'm guilty of not having love in, in all the right moments and in the right time. I'm guilty of being rude and envious and boastful and impatient and not kind and arrogant. I'm guilty and so are you. Listen to what it says here in verse six. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Don't you celebrate when you see them trip and fall and you say, you got what you deserve. No, the Bible says don't do that. King David was a wonderful example of that. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And that doesn't just have to do with like pastoral ministry and stuff like that or authority. It has to do with, if you read all throughout the Psalms, yes, you can pray prayers in private. God, give my enemies, get them. You can do that, but don't you dare rejoice when God does get them. Don't rejoice at wrongdoing. That's not love. It says this. It says, it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. Hand me that water. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. It finishes that passage in the first part of verse 8, and it says, love never ends. Other versions of the Bible say it this way, and I love it. It says, love never fails. The root of all of this in the series of Standing Your Ground is we can take that defensive posture and we can get ready to do battle and do war against this culture that's trying to invade our homes and our lives and all that stuff. But if we do that out of animosity and trying to get revenge or all of that stuff and we don't have love as the motivator, we're doing it wrong. I wonder what it would look like if we just made the choice to love well every day. I really do. I wonder what your co <laughs> your coworkers might come to Jesus. Your enemies might turn to friends. 
You might start getting along with your mother-in-law. I don't know. Love can change a person. It can really change a person. I think when you read the story of Daniel, one thing you see is that he was very, very polite. We see him stand strong, but he's always respectful. He stands firm, but he wields an influence in the world around him on the people. Listen to me, church, that God has surrounded him with. This is what's really important to understand because God didn't give me your people. So think about that. I'm, I don't, I might meet you at your job to go take you out to lunch, but I don't have your people. I have my people and those people need me to love them. God has given us this, this uh, commandment that we are to love one another. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter six. We use this uh, passage at a different point in this series, but I felt like it was really important to just take a look at it again today. It says in verse one, It pleased Darius, that was the king, to set over the kingdom 120 leaders, that's a weird word, just leaders, to be throughout the whole kingdom. Verse 2 says, and over them he put three top guys in charge, three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to, to whom these satraps could give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Listen to what verse 3 says, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. How can you have an excellent spirit if you don't possess love? Right? I mean, God gave you gifts and talents to serve and to benefit others, but really you can do things excellently, but still not have an excellent spirit. I wish I had a choir and an organ for days like this. It'd be so good. Okay, listen, here we go. But here's the deal. It says, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Verse four said, just listen to me. I want you to understand. Daniel doesn't belong there. He's been kidnapped. He's been taken prisoner, yet because of his excellent spirit, God has exalted him over the natives, over the other people that might have deserved the job. Verse 4 says this, Then the high officials and the other leaders sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Listen to what it continues to say, And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. What a powerful example that we have in scripture with Daniel. And there are many things, listen to me, there are many things in my life that I cannot control. Do you agree with that? Say yes. There are many things in your life that you cannot control. But I am here to tell you, you can control your choices. I can make a choice whether I'm going to love well or whether I'm going to say some venomous, toxic words back at you. I can make the choice, even though I'm really irritated at the traffic pattern and the school drop off and the dog in the neighbor's yard yapping and the whatever. I can make a choice to not tell the world. Oh, I'm going back. (laughs) I can make a choice whether I'm going to have a good attitude But but, 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 pastor, you don't understand what they did. I don't need to. 
but your response in that moment sheds light on the, the nature and the character and the capacity of your heart. I'm telling you, we should just have the altar call right now. <laughs> These are not feelings. These are choices. Somebody's got to tell you the truth, church, right? So let me wrap this up by giving you a few practical things that every one of you can do tomorrow to love well. Here's the first one. There's three of them. Here's the first one. Love well by serving others. Figure out a way to serve the people around you. That's what we're doing today when you drop off a Walmart gift card. It didn't take anything but a few dollars. You don't have to sweat. You don't have to build. You don't have to travel. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to give a little bit of, to help. That's it. Just find a need and meet the need. But this means you've got to crucify your selfishness and consider others. <laughs> I remember the principle of my high school who I thought at the time was an evil woman. She was a pastor's wife, but she was mean. Oh, she was mean. She was mean to me, but well, anyway, I got over it and the Lord gave me a repeat opportunity with another woman just like her that even looked like her when I was in college to be my manager. I'm telling you, if you don't graduate, God will just let you take the grade over again. So, since that moment, I've done a, a better job at loving those who kind of get under my skin. But here's, here's the point of what I'm saying. Mrs. Tabor, she's still alive today, lives in North Carolina, love her to death. Her son and I were great friends. She used to say this, if you see a need, it's your job to meet it. Because you might be the only person, and she would love this. I'm going to send this message to her. She would love this because I'm actually quoting her later on in life. But here's the deal. If you see the need, you might be the only person who sees it. Don't cop out and be like, oh, somebody else is going to take care of that. I'm sure. Let me even put it like this. If you don't have $25, put $5 in a card and leave it on the table. Do something to exercise your faith and to sacrifice today. Because this is the point of what we're doing here is serving others. So find a need and fill it. Start by getting some practice by serving in the church. <clears throat> And then you'll know what to do when it comes to the world around you, right? Am I preaching? I'm preaching today. All right, here we go. First Corinthians nine, verse 19 says this. Paul says this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them all. But pastor, I'm the boss. I mean, I own my business. How can I be a servant? You can. You can find ways to bless and be a blessing to others and to serve others. So serve them. You say, but, but pastor, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I serve my kids? I do that all the time already. <laughs> serve. Because being a servant, it, isn't this what Jesus did? He came and he was the king of the world. One day he, he will reign in a real way over all of those who love him. And isn't this what he did? He went into the culture and he knew every sin they'd ever committed. He knew what they were thinking when he walked into the room, but he always loved and served people around him. Don't forget, the night he was betrayed, Judas was there having communion with Jesus, biting off the same loaf of bread that Jesus just took.
Don't forget that in earlier days, Jesus had taken time to disrobe down to just a towel to get down on the ground and use it to begin to do the lowest servant's job and wash the feet of his men. And Judas was in the room that night. He wasn't on vacation. And if you don't realize this, you take for granted you have shoes. In those days, it would have been open-toed shoes. You'd have been walking through dirty city streets with not you know, public sewage, uh, plumbing, and all that stuff. There would have been human waste, animal waste, dust. There would have been all of that stuff. And Jesus got down. He got down in the muck and the mire, nose to toe, and washed it off of Judas Nobody's outside of the scope of those who you can serve. I tell you, we've skipped a step if we've corrected before we've connected. And I say that because it it helps me think about a man named Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, you should go read it at some point. I'm not going to read anything from it today. But there, if, for those of you who have Baptist background, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Okay. So he was a short dude. Okay. And Jesus didn't come right out to him and say, dude, you're a thief. Get out of the tree. We're taking you to jail, sucker. He said, hey, I'd like to have lunch with you. What are you doing today? There's a miracle that happened in the house of Zacchaeus that we don't have a record of, but I can't wait to hear about it when I get to heaven. Because over a simple lunch, within just a short period of time, whatever it is that Jesus said or did with Zacchaeus, he came running out those doors, throwing money back at the people he had stole it from. Because God's love had transformed him. Because Jesus chose to serve him and to connect with him. Here's the second thing. Love well by setting an example for others. Worship team, would you come and join me? In 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, it says this. Set the believers an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in faith, in purity. If you're like me, depending on your bad days, this might give you a little anxiety. (laughs) That we're to set an example for others because you think, you know, if they look at my life, it's not the greatest example. They're definitely not going to want to be a Christian. If they saw how my wife and I interact or how me and the kids or how my boss is always on me or I'm always gossiping or what, whatever the thing is, fill in the blank. You might have an area of your life where you think, gosh, that gives me anxiety to think that people will be looking at me. But here's the deal. The point is that they are looking at you, but here's what we can say. We can say with faith and with action that we're not where we used to be. I'm not perfect and neither are you, but the point is to be able with confidence, not lying, but with confidence, be able to say, you know what? I am nowhere like I used to be. Gosh, you you should have known me back when. Because God is working inside of us. Remember, Jesus says that you're the salt of the earth. So we're to make things taste better because of our presence being around them. And by setting an example. Jesus also said, you're the light of the world. So you are to make the environment you're in brighter. Don't be a private Christian. 
Let your light shine in this dark world. The greatest influence you can have in your world is not what you say, not what you believe, or not what you give, but it's how you live. It really is by setting that example. And here's the last one. Love well by sharing Christ with others. Now, I just said that just a moment ago about don't be a private Christian. Let me say it like this for this point. Don't be a silent one either. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 and 16 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, because you will be, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I gotta think this might've been Paul thinking about Daniel, that there could be found nothing in the example of his life and, and that we are to share Christ with others. You know, St. Francis of Assisi once said this, it's been made popular by him at least. The quote is, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. So live your life in a way that pleases God and exemplifies or makes an example of what God is looking for. But have words ready when people ask you for the reason that you've got hope. This Christmas season, you might not be looking forward to it. You might have a loss that you have suffered. You might have a person that you miss. You might have less money in the bank than you know you should or wish you would. There's a lot of different things and challenges and struggles that we go through in in moments like this, but we've got to keep Christ at the center of all of that. And we've got to know that there's a hope inside of us. And if you're a believer, you do have hope, but sometimes you got to stir it up. You got to remind yourself, like David said, I tell myself, self, bless the Lord. Just like we did in worship earlier, regardless of the circumstance we're facing. So here's how you do it. You tell them that God loves them. If you want to share Christ and you say, Pastor, I don't know what I'm asking. Do I tell them certain words and have to point them to certain scripture and make them kneel down? Can we do it in a living room? Do they, can we do it at the grocery store? You can do it anywhere at any time under any circumstances. Tell them that God loves them and that he sent his perfect sinless son to die in their place. Bring it up in conversation. My daughter this week, Madeline, I love her. She is so... She's just a beautiful person on the inside and on the outside. But I remember hearing her say to her mom, and I was passing through the, through the dining room, she said something along the lines of, Mommy, how do I bring up God in a conversation? And I just, as is my nature, turned around and butted into the conversation and just shouted, Say God! I mean, just start somewhere, Right? But tell them about the hope that they can have. And ask them if they believe that after you talk to them through it. For goodness sakes, I'll even let you use Google to get the Bible verses right. You don't have to stock this all away today. But tell them if they confess their sins and admit they need a Savior, that God will come into their heart and life and give them peace and joy and forgiveness. That's what it's all about. And then offer to pray for them. Offer to pray with them. Ask them to pray using their own words, confessing that they're a sinner, asking that they would have God's love inside of them. 
share Christ with someone. Don't be a silent Christian. Whatever you do to love well, always point others to Christ. Would you stand with me today? If you're not familiar or if you're a guest here today, I just want to explain to you what's about to happen. I was going to joke and say we're going to pull out chandeliers and snakes and all. No, I'm just kidding, guys. It's okay to have fun in church, right? Not with chandeliers or snakes, though. It's okay to have fun in church. You say, Pastor, you're derailing. No, I'm not. I'm trying to lighten it just a little bit to let you know this is what we do every Sunday. We have the worship team come because music sets a mood, right? It sets the mood of our heart for just this last moment to be able to connect with God. And I want you to do that in your seat today. I want you to just use your mouth and quietly, you don't have to shout, God, I'm sorry, I'm horrible, I need more love. You don't have to do that, please don't do that. But you could just whisper a prayer and say, Lord, you know what? Because <laughs> here's the deal. I know this happened today because God did it to me while I was preaching. I know that some of you thought of a name of a person who you wish you didn't have in your life. Maybe it was just me, but I really sense that there are others. And maybe today you just need to say, Lord, I, I pray for fill in the blank, that person. Lord, would you help me to love her or him like you love me? But would you just respond today in this last moment? And I'll come back in just a second and just pray a closing prayer. But as they sing, I know the temptation is there to sing a song along with them. But it's okay if you don't. And if you just, even if you want to sit or kneel where you are, but just take a moment and say, God, help me to love well. Help me to love better. Father, I pray right now, as you've given the gift of your Holy Spirit to the church. And in this room, there are believers today that may have not done well in their loving. God, I pray today that you would help us to be convinced that even though it's not okay that we haven't done our best, God, today you're committing to us that you'll help us love better and love well. Lord, I thank you that you're moving on hearts. Lord, that healing is even flowing right now in Jesus' name.